Special note, this article should be read in conjunction with Alcohol and Christians, feature 86 on this website. Even if you've read this article previously, please stop now and review it, then return to this message of truth and deliverance. Man's carnal nature is to resist the good, to resist the truth, to resist the light. Because of this resistance to doing the right thing, the results are devastating. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, But the way of the transgressor is hard. One glaring example is man's rejection and misunderstanding of the Bible's prohibition of alcoholic beverages. Consider the following short list of detriments taken from statistics recorded from 1994 to 2000. 1. 7.4% or nearly 15 million of Americans meet the criteria for alcohol abuse or alcoholism. 2. 48.2% of 21-year-olds are binge drinkers. 3. The annual cost of America's alcohol problems is a staggering $175.9 billion. 4. About 1 in 4 children under 18 are exposed to alcohol abuse. 5. Women with alcoholic partners are 360% more likely to be physically assaulted than other women. 6. Alcohol is a major contributor to liver damage, uh, pancreatitis, cancer, brain shrinkage, and the second leading cause of dementia. 7. Children from alcoholic homes are admitted to the hospital 62% more often with stays 29% longer. 8. 25 to 40% of all patients in U.S. hospital beds, excluding maternity and intensive care patients, are being treated for alcohol-related problems. 9. In 1998, the alcohol-related accidents killed 15,935 Americans on the open highways, number 10, etc., etc. Truly, the way of the transgressors is hard. Are you bound by the grip of sin? Is your life far from what you'd like it to be? Is your mind filled with pain and confusion? Click on the Further with Jesus on this website for immediate answers. Now for today's subject. God said, Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. God said, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look upon their nakedness. God said, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Man said, a little moderation, a little bit of wine, a little bit of beer, a little bit of whiskey, marijuana, cocaine, etc. And Jesus made wine, didn't he? Now the record. 
In the early 1900s, evangelical churches across America stood united in their opposition to all alcoholic beverages and applied major pressure on the U.S. Congress for the purpose of passing the 18th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States on July 16, 1919. This amendment outlawed the manufacturing, sales, and transportation of alcoholic beverages. This law was repealed in 1933. Bootlegging caused a law enforcement nightmare. But just in case you think prohibition was an utter failure, consider the following data found on the op-ed page from around 20 years ago. Note that some of the data reflects um, dated numbers. During the prohibition era, 1919 to 1933, number one, crime decreased 54%. Two, the death rate due to liquor decreased 43%. Three, 97 of the 98 Keeley Alcoholic Clinics closed for lack of patients. Number four, insanity decreased 66%. Number five, all 60 Neil Cure Clinics uh, closed for lack of patients afflicted with alcoholism. The post-prohibition area, number one, drunkenness shortly increased 350%. Two, crime has spiraled till it is now rampant. Three, some 50% of all traffic accidents are alcohol-related. Four, there are 10 million alcoholics today. Of course, that number is dated now. And five, of this number, 3.5 million are 14 to 17 years of age. End of quote. Current numbers, of course, are sizably different. From the repeal of Prohibition until today, huge numbers of evangelical churches have capitulated to the lust-driven social pressures, just as they have done in regard to permitting paganism, feminism, etc. in their churches. It is obvious why the Word of God declares that judgment must first begin at the house of God. The following email came from Duane. The article on alcohol doesn't mention Deuteronomy 14.26. It appears that God is telling the people to buy some wine and strong drink and have a party. Could you clarify this for me? The full context of the verse in Duane's question is found in Deuteronomy 14, verses 20 through through 26. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thy oil, and of the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, uh, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, When the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money, and bind up the money in thine hand, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen or for sheep, or for wine or for strong drink, and for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. This passage deals with tithes and offerings that were to be brought before God at the place he designated. If the distance between their homes and the designated place was afar off, the Israelites were instructed to convert their offerings into cash. When they arrived at God's designated place, they would purchase the things they desired. Then they offered their gifts unto the Lord and ate and rejoiced with their families before the Lord. Much of the sacrifice offered unto God was eaten by the priest and his family, as well as the one bringing the sacrifice in his family. 
The part of the sacrifice God required for himself, that part to be utterly consumed in the fire, was uh, that part of the animal, for example, which would be harmful to the eater. God required all the animal's blood to be purged and poured out upon the earth. He also required all fat, the kidneys, and the call above the liver to be consumed in the fire. These animal products are detrimental to physical health. For more information on this subject, click on to the following God Said, Man Said articles. God required from the sacrifice that which was not good for his people to consume. So then, concerning Dwayne's question, God gives the answer in Numbers 28.7, And the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of an hen for the one lamb. In the holy place, a place excuse me, shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured unto the Lord for a drink offering. As in God's pattern for sacrifice, that which was not good for the believer was wholly sacrificed unto God. The strong wine was poured out before the Lord. Additional information is being offered in this article, Alcohol and Christians Part 2, for the purpose of enlightening all, but especially those adversely affected by much of the church compromised doctrine regarding the consumption of alcohol. Many have been bitten by the devil of alcohol, but surely Jesus Christ can and will forgive and supernaturally deliver those who come unto him with all their being. The popular doctrine of moderation is basically anchored in one verse found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Moderation does not mean to do just a little sin, a little booze, a little homosexuality, a little murder, a little cocaine, etc. Drinking wine that has passed the line as well as consuming other alcoholic beverages is condemned in the word of God. In part one, God said, men said, thoroughly established that in the Bible, all grape juice is called wine. It is the non-fermented juice of the grape as well as the fermented. Scripturally, it is called wine right from the cluster on the vine. Also, as an aside, I should note that the ancients had various techniques for preserving unfermented wine. Additional information regarding, regarding excuse me, the wine issue follows below. Concerning the marriage supper in Jesus. In the first article on this subject, in some detail, we explained the miracle of turning water into wine performed at Cana by Jesus. We fully dispelled the notion that this wine would cause drunkenness. Here's more on this subject. The Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Concerning the words good wine in verse 10, ancient writers Pliny and Plutarch stated that good wines were those which would not intoxicate, having had their alcoholic content removed. Concerning good wine, Dr. S. Bacchiacci of Andrews University, author of Wine in the Bible, said, Scriptural and Moral Consistency requires that the good wine produced by Christ was fresh, unfermented grape juice. This is supported by the very adjective used to describe it, namely kalos, which denotes that which is morally excellent, instead of agathos, which means simply good. End of quote. Concerning the Last Supper. In regard to the wine that was drunk at the Last Supper, the Passover Supper, Dr. Bacchiacci states, the fruit of the vine, Christ commanded to be used as a memorial of his redeeming blood, Matthew chapter 26, 
verses 28 through 29, and Mark chapter 14, verses 24 through 25, was not fermented wine, which in the scripture represents human depravity and divine indignation, but pure, unfermented grape juice, which is a fitting emblem of Christ's untainted blood shed for the remission of our sins. This conclusion was established through a study of the language of the Last Supper, the Jewish Passover wine, the Passover law of fermentation, the consistency of the symbol, and the survival of the use of unfermented grape juice at the Lord's Supper. Most telling is the fact that Josephus calls the freshly squeezed grape juice the fruit of the vine. This establishes unequivocally that the phrase was used to designate the sweet unfermented juice of the grape. The evidence submitted shows that Jesus abstained from all intoxicating substances and gave no sanction to his followers for using them, end of quote. The Christian Courier notes the following quote from the Theological Workbook of the Old Testament. To avoid the sin of drunkenness, mingling of wine with water was practiced. This dilution was specified by the rabbis in New Testament times for the wine customary at Passover, end of quote. Also, it is known that ancient Romans watered down their wine three parts water to one part wine. Concerning Timothy's stomach, much to do has been made about the instructions that the Apostle Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Again, from a preview of wine in the Bible, ancient writers such as Aristotle, Athenaeus, and Pliny indicate that unfermented wine was known and preferred to alcoholic wine for medical purposes because it did not have the side effects of the latter. In the light of these testimonies and of the other biblical teachings regarding wine, it is reasonable to assume that the wine recommended by Paul for medical use was unfermented grape juice. The conclusion of this whole study on the biblical teaching regarding the use of alcoholic beverages can be summarized in one sentence. Scripture is consistent in teaching moderation in the use of wholesome unfermented beverages and abstinence from the use of intoxicating fermented beverages, end of quote. Alcohol consumption is Satan's snare. God said, Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. God said, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. God said, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Man said, A little moderation, a little bit of wine. A little bit of beer, a little bit of whiskey, marijuana, cocaine, etc. And Jesus made wine, didn't he? Now you have the record.